Good morning. Uh, my goal is to uh, get through these pages by 9.30 and then open it up to questions. And you can all laugh and say, oh, that won't happen. But, you know, that's what we're going to try to do. So because of that, a lot of this, I'm not going to read through all the verses. But I, I find it myself extremely helpful when you're dealing with a subject to have a lot of verses that all deal with that subject. And you don't realize perhaps they're all even in the Bible. And then to see them all together and to be able to relate them. Uh, my favorite thing is drawing, when I'm doing my devotionals, you know, drawing lines from words to across the page that repeat themselves and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that can help you uh, study this further. Uh, but we're, we will uh, try to get through the material so that I can uh, answer any questions that you have <clears throat> or that Ben can answer them. Actually, I'm going to give Ben all the questions uh, when we get to it. All right, let's, let's uh, pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for the great hope that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, giving us the resurrection, the new creation, that your salvation extends to every aspect of your creation, uh, that you do not abandon your creation. uh, You stand by your creation and renew it and restore it. As you restore your people uh, to kingship, uh, Lord, we, we praise you that that you would come and take upon yourself flesh and suffer in our place uh, to be to die and then to be raised again, all for the sake of we sinners who had lost our privilege of uh, entering into glory. Oh, Lord, thank you for your, your grace. Thank you for your self-sacrifice. Thank you for revealing who you are as the great God who would even love sinners. <clears throat> Uh, And we pray that our hope would increase this morning as we study your word. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So the first uh, question, what happens to believers when they die? Our shorter uh, catechism uh, answers it this way. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Okay, so we'll enlarge uh, in that, just going into different scripture uh, uh, about it. So at death, the spirit's, uh, believer's spirit goes to be with Christ. Uh, you remember what Jesus said to the robber on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, Keyword with me, okay? And then that's repeated in just the two passages that I know that really speak of going to heaven. Most everything in Scripture is about the resurrection, about the coming of Christ and the resurrection. There are a few passages uh, like these two that speak about dying and going to be with Christ. So Paul says in Philippians 1, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5 Uh, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that's the key element, that we go to be with Christ. Wherever that is and whatever condition we are, we will be with Christ. We will be at home with with Christ. Then extending that out, at death, the believer's spirit participates in the congregation before the throne of God. You see this in Revelation 7. 
a great multitude that no one could number. You've heard that phrase. Here it is in Revelation 7. From every nation, tribe, people, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, crying out with a loud voice. Notice the first word out of their mouth, salvation. Right? They, they, uh, this is the first time, though we think they are present in Revelation 5, uh, the, the redeemed. This is the first time we hear them uh, sing out. And then you see the angels standing around the throne, the elders, four living creatures, repeating the praises. So there they are in the midst of this great congregation. Uh, and then we'll see that as well in the next, sec- uh, next uh, point, number three. Uh, I separated it out, but really these two passages should, should go together. But I separate, separated it out to make this point that at death, the believer's spirit is made perfect. Okay, All sin is removed from us uh, when we die. So Hebrews 12 uh, describes this congregation as well by assuring us that, that we, instead of coming to Mount Sinai, we now have come to Mount Zion. We are a part of the people of God, and we're really part of the people who are in heaven before God. We are with them. We are one with them. That's the point here. But notice among the different things, uh, we're, we're among innumerable angels in festal gathering. We're in the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So there is a a great phrase. Our spirit is with God. Our spirit is with the Lamb. Our spirit is with innumerable, innumerable angels, innumerable angels, elders, living creatures, uh, and we have been made perfect. And of course, being made perfect means you're perfectly happy. Because all hindrance to the enjoyment of God is gone. And so your, your joy in Him, your exhilaration, your passion for Him is absolutely boundless at that point. That's our forever state, right? Nothing hindering us for the, uh, from the enjoyment of God. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be that first moment of being sinless, you know, being made perfect and and being able to enjoy God to the full, which we never can in this life. <clears throat> so uh, we're, we're with Christ. We're with Christ before the throne of God, with the congregation. We're made perfect. Uh, and that's why in the next point uh, we enter blessedness. Revelation fourteen thirteen says, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. I just love this. Voice comes and the Spirit says, absolutely, blessed indeed are the, uh, those who have died in, in Christ. Uh, that, that is such an encouraging statement that the, uh, as though the, the Spirit says, amen, amen, they are so blessed. Uh, resting from their labors for their deeds follow them. <clears throat> at the same time, at death, the believer in his or her spirit still cries out for vindication. Now, this is an odd thing for most of us. One, we have a problem in our American Christianity of thinking once you get to heaven, it's all done, it's over, you finally are at your final rest. You're there, good. You know, and I've heard 
many, many sermons from people of other uh, denominations talk about it in this way, not even mentioning resurrection, just death, heaven, that's it. And this is not the emphasis of Scripture. But here's a, an added thing that gives you uh, a sense of the restlessness of heaven. Okay? We, don't, we think, that's, oh, they're in their final rest. No, they're not in their final rest. Uh, I love the title of the book, Heaven is Not My Home. Or the title of another book, Heaven, A Place Called Earth. Okay? Or, as others have said, it's a round-trip ticket. Okay? <laughs> Go to heaven, you come back to earth eventually, because he's going to renew the earth, and we're going to inherit the earth, right? We're going to reign on the earth, it says in Scripture. Uh, and so you get a little feel of this from Revelation 6, where the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, that is faithful, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Unless you think they're impatient uh, and they should be happy that they're in the presence of Jesus, right? Uh, this, these are holy people. These are spirits made perfect, which also helps us understand that when uh, the saints cry out how long in the Psalms, it's a cry of faith. It's a cry of, uh, of entrusting themselves, of believing who God is and crying out appropriately to say, Lord, we know you're faithful, we know you're holy, you're sovereign, how long will it be? Just, just manifesting their eagerness, you know, their eagerness for the final salvation. Uh, but being dead and their bodies are in the grave, they, have a, they don't have vindication yet, right? I mean, you don't have vindication until the whole process by which death occurred is reversed. And then in their case, specifically, those who uh, killed you are, are judged. And that's what they're crying out for in heaven. So that may rattle our cage a little bit because we're not used to that. Then <clears throat> finally at death, the believer's body, though dead, is still united to Christ and belongs to Christ awaiting the resurrection. Now, let me, uh, I know some of you have seen this uh, little illustration, but I hope it'll, it'll help. <clears throat> so this is uh, death, okay? And then this is spirit with Christ and congregation, uh, blessed, uh, perfect, etc. And then this is body. This is good so far. This is not good, right? And this separation, I'm, I would call this, you know, an amputation of self. Still, in some degree, a destruction of self. That has to be reversed. Has, something has to happen about this right here. <clears throat> but notice what uh, our confession says, our catechism, that the body is still united to Christ. Now that seems odd, especially if the body didn't get a nice burial somewhere and something else happened to the body. Uh, but... Uh, let me, I, I want to ask this question, but, but it does say then that 
the body is still united to Christ. Now, there's some scripture here, but I want to ask this question. Why, <clears throat> why can you know that your body is united to Christ, dead or alive? It's, it's a real surprisingly easy answer, and it gets to who we think we are as human beings. Why is your body united to Christ? Let's, let's ask it this way. Why is my body united to Christ? Yes, yes. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, exactly, okay? One body. This is how simple it is. Because I am united to Jesus Christ. Now, do you get why that's important? Because we don't think of our body as I, but our body is I. Okay. Now, the way they put it in seminary again and again is, you don't have a body, you are a body. Okay, You don't have a body. And so, Greek thinking is, of course, the spirit dwells within this shell. Finally, the shell breaks down, the spirit is released. Oh, good, I'm finally gone. You know, that's the Greek idea. Got out of that shell. But so often for us, there's some kind of resident thinking And this is the real me right here, right? This is the real me. I just want to say, this is the real me too. Just as much me. So the answer is, you know, surprisingly simple. My body is united to Jesus because I am united to Jesus. And my body is me just as much as my spirit. Is that clear? Everybody got that? Trick question. Okay. So... But it actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm <clears throat> running out of, uh, got a little bit of a cold. I came back from Mississippi with this. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 here, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then what Patricia referred to, your body is a temple. This is just a further way to say that your body is a member of, of Christ, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Also, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And in this context, it means your body doesn't mean your spirit wasn't bought. But in this context, he's particularly talking about a body. So it's significant that he says you, body and soul, were bought with a price. Jesus died to redeem your body, not just your soul. We're not into just saving souls. We're into saving people, (laughs) God saves people, body and soul, um, and he saves his creation, of course, as well. <clears throat> so all of these, this passage just brims with the significance of the body, uh, and we won't go into, uh, there's, there's more about 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, you just read the whole last half of, of, of chapter 6 sometimes and meditate on it. It's, it's so very good. And then uh, John 5 just specifically says that uh, they're coming out of the tombs, both the uh, uh, wicked and the righteous, to, to judgment in the final day. Okay, so then we're going to talk about what happens to believers uh, when Christ comes again. Any questions about heaven? Which I can't answer, especially about heaven, yes. Yeah. Where you're saying the spirit is participating in this congregation, 
You know, and this is what, before Christ comes back? Yes. But yet it talks about... Yeah, here. Um, ...being clothed in robes and their hands having branches. So it doesn't seem like they're with their body yet. They're not. They don't, they don't have their body yet, but um, they're... For, I don't know how we manifest ourselves in heaven. That's a very interesting question. Like, I, I suppose that Kay's mom has seen her dad in heaven, you know, since she died a week ago. Um, how do they recognize each other? What does a spirit look like to a spirit? How does a spirit see? I don't see how a spirit thinks because if you've got Alzheimer's, your spirit is confined to what your body can do. It doesn't matter what your body can't, your body cannot think, your spirit cannot think as far as I, you know, there's no part of you that you can communicate with. This person ultimately has Alzheimer's. But apparently there is communication, there's praise, there's a recognition, you know, in heaven. And I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's a hologram or no. <laughs> But that's a very good question, and, and it's just a great mystery, you know. We've got many mysteries about the creation, too. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're all, you're all just go think about it somewhere else. Yeah. I was with you until you said that last thing about if you had Alzheimer's and your body was doing good. I thought we said that when you're in heaven, you're separated from your body. Right. That's my question is if, 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 if you're in your body, you have Alzheimer's and there's no part of you that can communicate with someone that will say if it's severe, then suddenly you're released from your body and your spirit can communicate, you know, I don't, I, apparently, but that's just a mystery to me, you know, I don't understand, yeah. Yeah, we we would say you don't have a body because your body is in the grave, you know. We'd say this is your spirit. As it says specifically in Hebrews 12, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. But those spirits can communicate. The spirits praise God, obviously. With what are they praising God? I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that. But they are. They do. Um and God takes care of it. And I don't know, understand how that works. But um, there may be some kind of, uh, yeah. At, at that point, even theologians will tell you, pure conjecture, okay? The greatest minds that ever, it's just pure conjecture at that point because the, the, the Bible just doesn't reveal that to us. Okay, now, what happens to and for believers when Christ comes again? Uh, <clears throat> first of all, those who've died are raised from the dead, and believers who remain are transformed to be with Christ forever. Paul, as you, many of you know, writes to the Thessalonians because they have this question. Fine, we get it. If Jesus comes, we will be transformed and we will receive our new bodies. We'll, we'll be glorified. But what about those who've died? What's going to happen to them? And it's kind of parallel, I think, to... Uh, Mary, Martha and Mary both asked the question of uh, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Now he's dead. 
it's all over, right? They didn't perceive of the greatness of God's power uh, that, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It didn't matter if he's sick, I can repair him. If he's dead, I can revive him. So it kind of had that same uh, thing to them. They're not beyond God's salvation just because they've died. So he explains in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. I love that description. They're just asleep. <laughs> Even though they've been dead five years, they're just asleep. That you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So we come to this point of resurrection. Christ comes and with him are those spirits of righteous made perfect. That's what Paul says here. They come and hear those that remain. And uh, we'll call this the, the resurrection right here. And as Paul explains here, it comes in a specific order. You've heard me say this before. First, they get their new body. On the appropriate, right? You lose your body, you get first in line, and then uh, they uh, have new bodies. <clears throat> but this is described uh, a bit differently here. Notice he'll say, um, the dead will rise first, verse 16, end of verse 16, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. There's that emphasis, being with the Lord again. Now, this word meet is uh, an official word that when uh, uh, emperor was coming with his army, and uh, here's the city right here, people would come out to meet him and to usher him back into the city. So the idea is that we meet Christ in the air, um, the whole creation is renewed, and we usher Christ back into his reign forever, and we reign with him. <clears throat> so it's not, it's not that he snatches, that we meet him in the air and we leave the earth and we never see the earth again. That's not the, that's not the uh, point here, but rather that we uh, attend him into his new city the, the New Jerusalem. Now you'll see in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 the same kind of emphasis in the two parts of, uh, of this uh, change. Notice um, the dead will, at the end of this passage, the dead will be raised imperishable and we, that means we who are here, shall be changed. So there again, there's that distinction. We will be, uh, the dead will be raised and we will be changed. So you could put this, okay, this is, uh, this is actually raised from dead, okay, and this is just changed from old body to new body. This is changed from dead body to new body, okay? Got that? Dead body to new body, old body to new body. Um, but the, we end up in the same, uh, with the same resurrection body like Christ's. Then you have First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians 15 just uh, repeats the fact that uh, the resurrection will occur. First uh, Corinthians 6, 14, God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Uh, these other uh, passages 
state the thing again and again. But I just give them here so that you can see how, and this by, by no means are all the passages, but just uh, a sampling of the passages. But I do want to underscore Romans 8.23, uh, as you've, I know uh, many of you have heard me mention this before, but <clears throat> we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, what's odd about that? We await the adoption of of sons. What's odd about that? Anybody, you know what you know what I'm saying. Didn't you think you were already adopted? Yeah, I thought I was. Okay, that's the what I want you to say. Uh, so uh, we are adopted as sons. We are heirs because we are sons. But obviously, this is talking about the consummation and completion of our adoption. And isn't it interesting that it only occurs with redemption of our body? It's not done. It's not completed. It's not reached its apex. It's beautiful denouement denouement until the uh, resurrection of the body. The redemption, and I love that word. Uh, I think it's the only time it's used in this way, but instead of just the resurrection, but redemption. That's what this is about. We, Our body has been redeemed by Christ. It is owned by Christ. It belongs to Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, and now he redeems what he has bought with his blood. Gosh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Like... I paid for you. You're, you're going to be resurrected. I paid for this body. I shed my blood for this body. I'm not losing it. So that's the sense of this. That's the sense he has of our bodies, our whole selves. He loves our whole self. You know, it's just magnificent. And of course, if it was just a matter of escaping our bodies and having our spirits go somewhere, why would Jesus have become a body himself, right? Why would he have died and shed his blood and be raised? He went through that whole process, all of that, to redeem our bodies so that death would not uh, be our uh, enemy and, and ruler any anymore. <clears throat> okay, so to further enlarge on this, we're just... Got to hurry, got to hurry. Uh, believers' resurrection is like Jesus' resurrection, and they receive new bodies that are like his new body of glory and power. We will bear the image of his perfect humanity. Now, we, we didn't read it, but we've already had the passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about first fruits. That already implies it, right? If Christ, if Christ is simply the first fruits, then this whole crop, of the same, uh, the same animals, the same vegetable, you know, so to speak, the same thing is coming. So he's the first fruits. We follow the first fruits because we're just like him. But then you have these specific passages, Romans 6. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Pretty specific. And then, you know, my favorite one, Philippians 3. Uh, the Lord Jesus uh, is, is our Savior. We wait Him from heaven. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 
Only the power of God who's able to subject anything in creation to himself could do this. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. And it's that power of creator that enables him to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. First John 3 simply puts it this way. When he appears, we shall be like him. And so it can say, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So you're sharing his glory. Uh, Romans 8, glorified with him. Uh, and perhaps the most stunning statement of this, Second Thessalonians, uh, you recall through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just magnificent statements. Now, always important to realize it's the glory of his humanity. Okay. Otherwise, these are blasphemous statements, right? <laughs> we can't share divine glory. We can't, uh, e- even though Second uh, Peter uh, says that we uh, participate, par- partake of the divine nature, which is amazing. But he means by that just graphically stating that we, uh, we, uh, the 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 power and and the uh, presence of God is. Is uh, completely fills us and embraces us in that final day, um, but it's the glory of his. Because when he was raised from the dead, and uh, his body, uh, his body entered glory. He did that so that our bodies could enter that glory. His as God, he never changed. Right, he, he, he's always God. He's always infinite in his glory as as God. This whole action was for us to, to bring us into glory. And I would say here, uh, I think the best interpretation in its context of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is we fall short of achieving that glory of God. See, we not, not living and, and bearing the glory of God, but we fall short of entering in the, all of sin and, and all fall short of entering into that glory. But Jesus takes us into that glory that we lost for ourselves. It can be described in this way, Romans 8, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then when he has the golden chain, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he also glorified. So these are synonymous terms with Paul that we are predestined. So (laughs) if if we had a line here, and this is eternity, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, or as he puts it at the end of verse 3, to be glorified. That makes sense? So this is planned from the beginning that he predestined that we should ultimately bear the image of Jesus and, and taste the glory of his humanity and be glorified with him. It's the plan of God. It's a glorious plan. Uh, <clears throat> then you might be interested in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. I just ended with this in this section because it describes particularly how the body is changed. It's perishable, but when we're raised, it's imperishable. It was sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. Sown in weakness, it's raised in power. So it's marked by being imperishable, glorious, powerful. 
And when it says spiritual body, it doesn't mean non-material, but this speaks of the spirit, the spirit fully manifesting his glory and power in us in the resurrected body. Isn't that amazing? Spirit completely gets a hold of you and manifests his glory and power in your life. You will have a spiritual body. That is a spirit conditioned body forever. So the life of the resurrection is characterized by glory. You can read those passages. They all speak of that again and again in different ways. And then on the fourth page, part of the glory is that we reign with Christ You have those three passages that speak of it. The Revelation 5 specifically says, shall reign on the earth. You could couple that with uh, Matthew 5 where it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, This has to do with their ownership of the earth and their rule over the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And though we ourselves enter into judgment with all other people and If I weren't speaking so much about what happens to us as believers, this would have a separate section that he comes, of course, to judge the world, comes to judge the living and the dead. But what's interesting, this reign that we have extends to sharing in Christ's judgment. And this one really blows me away because he says there in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that you will judge the world? And... And I don't know if you have the same reaction. I think that's a little past my pay grade right there, you know, that I would be participating in the judging of the world. Are you crazy here? You know, Paul, you will judge angels. What? You know, you see an angel and everybody wants to fall down and worship them. And John has to be picked up again and again in the book of Revelation. No, 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 don't, don't worship me. I'm... I'm a worshiper. I'm not something to be worshipped. But now we become, what kind of creatures are we? What kind of glory and power and wisdom do we have that, that apparently we become in a way the agents of Christ's judgment? I don't know. It makes me tremble. It really literally makes me tremble. And then if you read Psalm 2, it speaks of Christ's Uh, rule and how he'll smash the nations like pieces of pottery. And then uh, amazingly in Revelation 2, that same imagery is used about us. If you're faithful, if you conquer, you will smash the nations like pottery. And again, it's only in union with Christ, right? It's only in complete dependence upon Christ. It's only through Christ. But it is real that our reign includes this judgment. I I mentioned that just to underscore he really does mean reign and rule here in the most dramatic way. Uh, And it, it just soars beyond all imagination, of course. And, of course, all of Christ's enemies and death itself will be destroyed at his coming. The great, this Psalm 110 is probably the most quoted uh, passage in the New Testament. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the great hope of believers throughout the centuries that all of his enemies will be made his footstool. And so 1 Corinthians 15 says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God uh, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Of course, Paul 
is, is basically quoting Psalm 110 there. And then the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And you see this in Revelation 20, the devil being thrown in the lake of fire, then death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. So complete judgment of all of our enemies. Uh, <clears throat> all, all his enemies and they're all of our, our enemies as well. Then, though we could have a whole lesson on this, all of creation will be renewed. Uh, Colossians, through him to reconcile to himself all things. And then Acts 3, uh, heaven must receive him until the time for restoring all things. And then the great passage is Romans 8. Creation, it's personified. Creation's made a person here, right? Creation waits with eager longing. That Now, of course... Uh, they have trees clapping hands, you know, and, and the mountains roar. And I mean, he, he personifies creation many times in the Psalms. And that's the same thing happening here. Creation's on its tiptoes. It's eagerly waiting. Can't, can't, you know, it's just jumping up and down uh, for the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, <clears throat> because creation was subjected to futility um, creation will be set free from its bondage to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And <clears throat> I'll put it within this box, but basically, uh, here's man, and the, when he was broken, all of creation was broken. And when he's restored, all of creation is restored. Because wherever, he's the engine and it takes the whole train off into the ravine, right? And when you set the engine back on the train track, then the whole train gets set back on the train track. So when man is restored, creation is restored. That's why creation is waiting for what? It's waiting for this. The revealing of the sons of God to leave its bondage and enter into the freedom of the sons of God. That again speaks of our kingship, right? It can't do anything until we are restored. And its bondage is only ended when it can enter into our freedom, the freedom of our glory that we enter into. Amazing relationship that we have with creation. <clears throat> so, um, finally then, just to say, <clears throat> believer's hope is, in, is centered, not ultimately. Now, it is partly centered on death and heaven. Just like Paul said, I'd rather be with Jesus than here, right? It'd be better to be with Jesus than here in so many ways. Um, but ultimately, it's not on death in heaven, but on the coming of Christ and the resurrection. So, Titus 2, we're waiting for our blessed hope, not when we die and go to heaven. He doesn't say that. He could have said it. We are blessed hope is when we finally get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, you know, and I, those are good songs there. And you can mean heaven in the ultimate sense, uh, which scripture does sometimes heaven in the sense of the new creation. But our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter says, fix notice, uh, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your hope is completely on that. Even though you may die and go to heaven, your hope is somewhere else. Your hope is on the coming of the Son of God. And it even says in 2 Timothy, 
Paul says, I will receive the crown of righteousness. Also, others will receive it. Who will receive the crown of righteousness? Those who have loved his appearing. This isn't optional. It's not optional whether you think, you know, for, for us to long for his coming or not long for his coming, it seems a vital part of manifesting that we're Christians, that we love his appearing. If you love Jesus, you love his appearing. You want more of him. You want the full everything. You want to see him as he is. Same thing with uh, Hebrews there. that he, It says specifically, he comes to save those who are waiting for him. I know it's a little frightening, but maybe it would help urge us to, maybe I ought to think about this a little bit, right? Maybe I need to let my mind soak this in and and get and stay excited uh, about this. Then his great words at the end of the resurrection passage in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, given this hope, then we should be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because it's not in vain. It's not in vain, because he's coming. So we can continue to give ourselves away. Uh, uh, And the work of the Lord, of course, is basically the work of love, the work of spending yourself lavishly for others as Jesus has spent himself for you because you know your work's not in vain because Jesus is coming and the whole earth is going to be renewed. So, questions? Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you raised that. So our first passage, John 5, uh, speaks of the resurrection of the wicked and the righteous. And this is severe to have to think about it, but apparently in our resurrection, our glory and joy is made complete because now we enjoy him body and soul, and their judgment and suffering is made complete because they suffer body and soul forever. So it's a re- they're being raised to an eternal death, which is horrible thought. But it is a reuniting of yeah. a new eternal body or a <coughs> now you're getting somehow- you're getting beyond our yeah I think of what the church would say. But um, the fact that 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 all people righteous and and uh, evil. Bodies come forth from the tomb. I don't know the nature of the joining of an evil person's body with the spirit that's now completely vitiated and ruined forever, allowed to completely, you know, that, anyway, we won't go into that, but, but, but still there's, there seems to be some kind of restoration of the person, not for the purpose of shalom and wholeness, but for the purpose of a more complete destruction. That's all I would know how to, to say about that. Yeah. When you, earlier you described uh, the word meat as an official word. Uh, when you put a meat in the air and then come back to the city and usher back into the city and you're constantly reigning with Christ over something, over in a place. Yeah. <laughs> Think about. So you think of 
back to the garden, you know, like trees and plants and animals, or now we live in a world with trees and plants and animals that like we replanted in the ground and buildings we built and art yeah. we made on the walls. And is the art in the general groaning for extra? <laughs> yeah. I've already got a lady that restores that. Right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very good question. And I, I think you'll find people kind of ranging in their opinion. Mine is this, that uh, it appears that just as we participate so fully in judgment, that's our reigning, that the restoration of the earth, like it's, it's made, it's, it has an initial restoration, but its development belongs to the kings and queens. We reign and we bring all of our now renewed powers to bear on this renewed earth. Um, I'll, uh, so I, I've heard several theologians describe it as we will extend this great garden city to spread throughout the world so that you're never really outside the city, but you're really never outside the forest. In a sense, you know, it's just this, that's just one guy's idea, you know, uh, but there's nothing biblical about that. There are those, uh, pass, the passage in Revelation that talks about the, you know, items of culture coming into the city of God. There are varying opinions of what that means. But I do think, as human beings, we have to produce culture. We, we're creative. We, we must make things in the image of God. And if that image is fully restored, then we will see the greatest things human beings have ever done, you know, in this renewed earth. Uh, that's that's my best shot at that. Now, I'll, I'll, <laughs> there was an interesting uh, thing in Star Wars, uh, no, uh, Star Trek, one of the first movies done, uh, where they ended up on this planet. You may know more details than me, but they're on this planet where the atmosphere renews your body. So you live basically endlessly, okay? So they're walking by this different things, and... Uh, Kirk and everybody, and they see this tapestry, and and they're all just dumbfounded. They've never seen anything this gorgeous, this detail, this perfect in their life. And they say, who, who made this tapestry? And everybody kind of nervously, you know, sitting there and saying, well, this is a student. Because you are a student for like 100 years, see, in that context. So, but it kind of, it does make you think, what if we have perfect collaboration? What if there are no more wars or disagreements and we perfectly agree and encourage each other and work beautifully together to engage in, you know, this world in terms of uh, our, our creativity? Uh, who knows what it's going to be? And, the, and, of course, you've heard my illustration over and over about the new creation If if this is breathtaking creation, what's it going to be when it's released? You know, it's not in bondage anymore. Uh, my great illustration was seeing this eagle in a Birmingham zoo, and it was in a pretty small, way too small cage, but it, was, it suddenly started flapping its wings. I was the only person there, and it, it just almost knocked me back, the power of its wings. But I thought, boy, if you could break out of that cage, you know. And there's creation in the cage, Flapping its wings, you can feel its power and its glory, and you, you enjoy it every day. But it's still in a cage. You believe that? It's in a cage. 
What's it going to be like when it breaks out? And then what are we going to be like when we're matched with its, you know, release? In fact, it's only released because we've been released. You know, we enter our glory and it enters its glory. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine all of that. But any other quick questions? Quick questions? I told you about that guy, didn't I, who um, I met for lunch one time. He talked, it was a, it was a uh, one, one direction talk for an hour and a half. He talked, I listened, I finished, I walked out to my car, he talked, he talked, he talked. I got in my, I opened the door, he talked, he talked, he talked, he talked, shut the door, drove off, okay? That was it, that was the way. Now, he was not a member of our church, he'd have been a former member of our church. I mentioned this to someone, do you know so-and-so? He said, you know, I thought that his name was because every time the preacher called on him, he would say, Sam, shortly. Uh, no, Sam, briefly. I thought his name was Sam briefly. <laughs> so, he really did. He really thought his name, because Sam would do that on Wednesday night prayer too as well. But Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for, again, for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, enable us by your spirit. Only you can do it, Lord to enable us by your Spirit to have this kind of hope, this love of your appearing, this anticipation and eagerness for you, Lord, uh, that really changes our life, that uh, conditions us and gives us strength and energy to give ourselves away to others because we are so thrilled at what you are going to do in that final day. Oh, Lord, thank you for these uh, obvious promise after promise after promise after promise that you've laid before us so that we would be able to fix our hope on these things. Bless us in Christ Jesus. Amen.